0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians, Allie Miller and her co-host, Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 316, Ketogenic Bodybuilding with guest Robert Sykes, aka Keto Savage. This is a great episode that is going to cover relevant content beyond professional bodybuilding, we promise. Um, We'll also dig into the dangers of over-restricting, why you may want to consider a ketogenic refeed to control metabolism, help pushing through plateaus, uh, talk on consistency, entrepreneurship, and so much more.
2: Yes. Robert is one of the most stand-up dudes that I've met in the keto circuit. I met him back in 2017 and have always appreciated his discipline and his approach Um, I remember him talking early on about nutrient density and kind of going away from that if it fits your macros mode into quality and ensuring that we're choosing foods that provide us nourishment when we are considering different phases of calorie restriction. Uh, Just saw him at KetoCon with Rigel and Crystal. They are just the sweetest family. And I love seeing him crush it as an entrepreneur with his coaching brand and his Keto Brick Today is going to be a great episode. Uh, I think that you all will learn a lot. Um, Beyond what Becky noted, we also talk about the importance of muscle and how you can start to apply resistance training at any age, at any stage of exercise, so that you can ensure that you are really optimizing and thriving. And before we get into today's episode, another friend that I ran into at KetoCon that I hadn't seen in a while is. Colin from Wild Foods. So I want to welcome back wildfoods.co as today's sponsor of the Naturally Nourished podcast. You can head on over to wildfoods.co instead of .com and use the code AllieMillerRD and you'll get 12% off your entire order. And Wild Foods is a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have beautiful superfood blends as well as medicinal mushrooms, and every single product that they source is painstakingly vetted from small farms around the globe. They take their mission very seriously to fix the broken food system and believe that real food is medicine just like we do. So we've partnered with them to give you all a discount on any of the products at wildfoods.co. Again, you can use the code AllieMillerRD and you'll get 12% off of your order. I want to highlight some of my fave items. One is the hand harvested whole vanilla beans. I love using this as opposed to a vanilla extract because then you don't have alcohol in your baked goods. Uh, Just a cleaner, brighter flavor profile, especially if I'm doing like my orange creamsicle keto smoothie. I want just do a pinch of whole vanilla beans so definitely check those out i love their cacao butter wafers so this is raw wild cacao butter Organically grown, non-deodorized. It is food grade. So you can use it in like lip balms and such. But I like to blend it into coffees. Um, So I like to add a little bit of coconut oil and then this cacao butter, and then maybe even a pinch of cacao powder, maybe some cinnamon. Uh, Blend that with a scoop of Wild Foods collagen peptides. They have grass-fed collagen as well. When you're over there, you can grab a tub of that. And then I love their matcha. They have ceremonial stone ground matcha, which is, you know, green tea leaves that are stone ground. You're going to be getting that high level of L theanine and EGCG for metabolic health. Each serving of the wild matcha is equal to 10 glasses of regular brewed green tea. So, a really awesome way to get a good food as medicine boost. And again, that L theanine helps to. Modulate your brainwaves to get you into that alpha brainwave mode for concentration without agitation and anxiety. So, a great kind of midday put down the coffee and switch to the matcha. And then they have a bunch of beautiful tea blends when you're over there. So anything from their coconut uh, chai, to which has red rooibos as the base um, with actual saffron threads and crushed chili, beautiful. Um, They have a great immune-boosting tea. And then, like I mentioned, they also have different mushroom blends. So they have lion's mane, they have reishi, they have chaga. You can also get blends of mushrooms. So much fun stuff to really enhance your food-as-medicine journey um, Superfoods to go in your smoothies, as well as really good rituals to start your day blended into your daily beverages. And I don't want to go without noting the Coco Tropics, um, which is great as we're chatting with y'all on Halloween. Um, this is a blend of nootropics. Um, so there are some medicinal mushrooms in here as well as turmeric, uh, cacao powder. It sips like a hot chocolate. It's anti-inflammatory and it's brain boosting. Um, and a great thing to play with as we're getting into the colder months to mix that up with some full fat coconut milk. Um, a really great boost for brain. So going over to wildfoods.co and put in the code AllieMillerRD to get 12% off of your first order. And for a limited time, if you place your order now, you're going to also get a free bottle of their new turmeric ginger extract. So going over to
1: wildfoods.co and use AllieMillerRD at checkout. All right. I'm going to read Robert's bio and then we will bring him on the show. Robert Seitz is a natural ketogenic bodybuilder, author and entrepreneur, as well as the CEO and founder of Keto Savage, a health and fitness company that offers coaching, training, and nutrition for athletes and bodybuilders. He is also CEO and founder of Keto Brick, a company that produces ketogenic meal replacement bars for efficient nutrition with the highest quality ingredients. Sykes holds first in class titles for his bodybuilding competitions within the OCB and WNBF federations and lives in Northwest Arkansas with his wife, Crystal, and their new baby, Rigel. Ketogenic bodybuilding is the culmination of all he has learned through his bodybuilding endeavors and client coaching practice. Welcome, Robert.
3: Hello, hello. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, we are stoked to have you on the Naturally Nourished podcast. And first off, congratulations on your book, Ketogenic Bodybuilding.
3: Thank you so much. That was uh, quite the undertaking, but I'm glad to have it out there now.
2: Yes. You put that out there before baby Rigel came into the world and what a comprehensive guide of 400 plus pages of just a total wealth of information from calculations and formulas to defining the seven phases of competitive training to grocery lists and recipes and even guidance on poses and postures for competition. Just totally awesome work.
3: Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I try to like my my forte is definitely bodybuilding, but I feel like I mean, the majority of my clients are not competitors. Uh, They're just everyday people wanting to, you know, lose body fat and retain muscle. And I feel like the the principles I apply with my competitive athletes are the exact same for everybody. Uh, So I feel like it's a pretty comprehensive book for anybody just simply wanting to optimize their composition via the ketogenic approach.
2: No doubt. No doubt. And we'll, we'll get into that too today on, you know, considering some of the techniques that you use in bodybuilding, how they apply to individuals that are just looking for composition change or, just getting off the vicious diet cycling train and so forth. So I think that your story is really powerful and and truly, I didn't really know about it until reading your book, as far as where you started with the competitive uh, bodybuilding and what types of dieting structure you were doing then. Um, I'd love for you to share your experience as a natural bodybuilder and how your approach changed over time. And really the dynamics that shifted when you discovered a ketogenic diet.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I was, I was always a super small guy. I was like 115 pounds when I started working out, I was a junior in high school and I haven't gotten any taller since then. So, so it didn't really do me any favor from a height standpoint. Um, but I was always a scrawny guy in class and I wanted to fill out cause I wasn't getting taller. I wanted to get broader and just have a more you know, confident physique, just have more confidence in myself. Um, I didn't have a clue what I was doing with weight training. So I started uh, listening to my uncle who used to play sports. I started reading all the magazines Um, And all these magazines will tell you to eat six, seven meals a day, lots of broccoli, chicken, rice, kind of like the bro bodybuilding style diet. Uh, So I did that um, and I bulked up to about 230 pounds, which was really, really heavy on my five, seven frame. So not a good look at all. I was definitely overweight overweight. Um, But I was just delusional to the fact that I thought I was just, you know, swole as the bodybuilders say, uh, whereas reality, I was just fat. Um, But I dieted down for my first competition in 2012, I believe, and I lost 80 pounds in 12 weeks and I won the show, but it was very unhealthy. I mean, everything I did was rushed. I didn't give myself enough time to diet down. I was eating far too little calories. I lost a ton of muscle. Um, And it just really, that kind of was the catalyst that sent me in a tailspin with my relationship with food. I developed a bunch of disordered eating tendencies, binging, purging, and I just knew there had to be a better way, Uh, but I, I didn't really know what that better way was. So I continued that bro dieting approach. Then I got into flexible dieting. If it fits your macros, did that for a few years. And then I started doing carbohydrate backloading, which is a protocol developed by John Kiefer, which is basically keto during the day. And then a bunch of high glycemic index carbs at night. Wow. And that worked. I was able to stay relatively healthy from a compositional standpoint. But after eating like a plate full of pancakes and brownies covered in syrup, you kind of start to realize that this probably isn't healthy long term. And sure. I just phased out the carbs altogether. So I was doing carb backloading minus the carbs, uh, which lo and behold is pretty much just pure keto. And I noticed that I didn't really experience a dip in performance. My my training was still great. My digestion was better. My my mental clarity had improved. And most importantly, my relationship with food was improved because I didn't feel guilty about the foods I was eating. It was just good quality foods. And for me, that was like the, the the tipping point of like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do going forward. Even if there's a drop in performance, I'm gonna do this simply for the the benefit from a you know relationship with food standpoint, because that was liberating for me. Um, but it actually improved my performance. I got leaner than I ever had before did a fully ketogenic prep in 2017 earned my pro card and have not looked back since.
2: Super awesome. Mm -hmm. I would love to see a a CGM in that carb loading situation. (laughs) I'm sure your sleep was a big favorable shift that occurred when you cut those carbs
1: out.
3: Yeah, it was weird. I mean, like I would eat, I had a roommate at the time uh, when I was doing that in college and I would eat, I mean, it was just mind boggling what I would eat. Like I would literally uh, have this whole Betty Crocker like nine by nine baking dish, you know, full of brownies. And I'd cover the whole thing in peanut butter and syrup. And that would be my last meal of the day. Uh, So there's no telling how many calories, no telling how many carbohydrates and sugars I was consuming, but I would certainly not want to look at a CGM. Um, And I would sleep, like I I would be in a total food coma, but it was certainly not a quality sleep.
1: Right out. Yeah. And what other shifts did you see? So um, improvement in our performance, we were able to cut, um, changed relationship with food, but I'm curious, any other benefits that have you not looking back from keto from that point?
3: Well, when I started doing this, everybody that I was training with at the gym, they just, they told me it wasn't feasible. That wouldn't work from a bodybuilding standpoint. They said I couldn't continue to build muscle without carbohydrates. They said I could not get lean enough without carbohydrates. They said I wouldn't have energy and all of that just, didn't happen. I mean, I I was able to, you know, get stronger. I was able to get leaner. I was able to have that vascularity, get those muscle pumps. I was able to do everything that you're needing to do as a bodybuilder. And I think a lot of bodybuilders, th- they go through a traditional prep and they keep their protein really high, their their carbs high or low, depending on the phase in the prep. And they'll just drop their fats down to nothing. Yeah. Um, like I, I've, I've competed with people that will literally cut out fish oil pills in an attempt to remove all dietary fat. Wow. Um, And that just totally tanks your testosterone. All hormone function goes out the window. You feel totally depleted and you have a really negative rebound after you reintroduce those fats and just more calories in general. And by me doing a ketogenic approach and keeping dietary fat relatively high throughout the entirety of the prep and after the prep, uh, I didn't see near the dip in hormonal performance. Um, You know, like I didn't lose my libido to the point of just you know not functional um and i never i never lost uh, a healthy like i stay within a healthy range of just testosterone and testosterone itself is very good for preserving lean muscle tissue so you okay. want to have that at a healthy rate in the context of a competition prep so i feel like the hormonal benefits that accompanied the ketogenic approach to nutrition really benefited me in the long run yeah and i
1: I've worked with some women who are in the bodybuilding world even and looking at their hormones like how their adrenals and their sexual hormones tank. It's pretty remarkable and and even when we're not talking about bodybuilding world just regular people world um curious on on your thoughts on I guess this over restricting that you know we tend to do or or this vicious diet cycle and um, how that can impact the body and what you've seen in your clients.
3: Yeah. So this is honestly one of the topics that I'm super passionate about. And I, I don't honestly see a lot of people talking about it, but basically the concept of reverse dieting. So everybody wants to talk about dieting down, cutting calories, losing body fat, looking good in a bikini, but nobody really wants to have the other end of the spectrum conversation about reverse dieting, bringing calories back up to a healthy maintenance or surplus, putting on more muscle tissue and just kind of improving your overall metabolic and hormonal baseline. So many people, I see this, you know, especially in females, but definitely in males as well, they'll work with, you know, coach after coach after coach and they just keep cutting calories until their metabolism has depressed to the point where they're eating next to nothing and still not really losing much weight. And they're only consuming, you know, six, 700 calories or a or less a day right, right. every single day. And that's just not, not good. I mean, most of my female clients, um, you know, I never really take them lower than 1300 calories and that's just for a very finite period of time at the very tail end of a cut. And that's with, you know, ketogenic caloric refeeds, like I hedge against that low calorie intake quite a bit, but you see a lot of people, just chronically staying less than 1000 calories a day, which is not healthy, certainly not optimal for building and preserving muscle tissue. So really kind of having that conversation on that end of the spectrum and talking about the benefits of eating in a surplus is is something that I've really tried to speak out about.
2: I want to even dig into that a little bit more because if everyone listen, what we're saying in this concept of reverse dieting is that sometimes less restriction is more You know, I think that this is something that's really important for the individuals that are chronically in a state of deprivation. Um, Can you share maybe some example success stories or results you've seen with liberating, getting more calorie intake, and then kind of that emphasis of how you're calling it a ketogenic refeed? So it's not this laissez faire cheat day per se. Let's talk about kind of how we strategically refeed. And still maintain good blood sugar balance, good metabolic outcomes, and don't stress the body.
3: Yeah, totally. I mean, I've got one female client right now that started with me because she had been chronically restricting. She she was, uh, I don't know if she was less than a thousand, but she was certainly less than thirteen hundred on on a. On a you know, for months and years on end. Now she's get this, this, this blows my mind. She is literally consuming more than 3,300 calories a day, which is more than my maintenance intake. And she continues to maintain an incredibly lean physique health, healthy composition, builds muscle, perfect hormone panel, perfect blood markers, like all of that. And she's, I think she's like 129 pounds and she's eating 3,300 calories. I mean, that's, Is not the norm, but most female clients that I work with, a good rule of thumb is that they should easily be able to maintain a healthy composition north of 2,000 calories. I like to see all my female clients, uh, you know, consuming north of 2,000 calories and maintaining a healthy composition. When you look at what's happening from a, look at it simply from a metabolic standpoint. So our metabolism is incredibly adaptable. If you start cutting calories, it down regulates as a survival mechanism, really, to preserve Uh, the tissue that you have however it becomes harder to train with you know intensity it becomes harder to train heavy when you do drop calories and if you are not using and demanding that muscle tissue to be there muscle tissue is incredibly uh you know taxing on the body so it's going to tap into that stored tissue as a way to make up for that void of a loss of intake and if you lose muscle tissue because you become catabolic as a result of that deficit and you're not training and you're losing muscle, you're eating less, you're gonna have a downregulated metabolic rate to begin with. And that just continues and continues until the point your, your metabolism is just, I don't like to use the word damaged because it's it kind of a I don't like fear-mongering when it comes to nutrition and dieting and, and weight training, but it's certainly not optimized. Whereas if you were to do the reverse of that, give your body time in a caloric surplus train with intensity, train with a progressive overload principle, give your body reason to build and preserve more muscle tissue. That's going to have a favorable effect on your metabolic rate. You can consume more calories without the adverse effect of adding unnecessary body fat tissue, and you just continue to benefit in that regard, as well as all the hormonal benefits that come with not being in a chronically restricted state. So whether you're a male or female or a competitive athlete, or just simply wanting to improve your quality of life and live better and longer, you're going to benefit from having more muscle tissue. And you're going to benefit from having periods in a caloric maintenance uh, as a minimum, but ideally also times in a surplus.
2: Now, is that the same time as you're going through this refeed, let's say for the non-competitive bodybuilder, the, you know, woman postpartum who wants to, you know, is weaning breastfeeding and is looking to lose 20 pounds, give or take uh this approach to refeeding should that be done at the same time that we're upping exercise intensity or weight training or should we do that after we've adapted and upped the calories what do you kind of feel in timeline there
3: so I only use, use the ketogenic caloric refeeds uh, in the context of a deficit. If you're in a maintenance or surplus, the the benefit of the refeeds is is somewhat fleeting because you're consuming enough nutrition anyways. But when you're in that deficit, the refeeds have a favorable impact from, uh, for one, a psychological standpoint, like it becomes taxing mentally to be eating less and less as each week passes. So having something to look forward to from a ketogenic caloric refeed standpoint uh, does wonders for the, the brain, but then that has a favorable uh, effect on your nervous system, you, you can kind of return to that parasympathetic state as opposed to that stressed state. Uh, there is a temporary benefit from a metabolic standpoint from having that surge in calories. Uh, there is a benefit from a hormonal standpoint. Um, but when I do refeeds, I actually just posted a video on this today. It's usually once or twice a week in the context of the lower calories towards the tail end of a cut. Um, Now, when it comes to your example of like a postpartum mom that's working on breastfeeding, I have actually got a client that I'm working with right now um, that is postpartum and breastfeeding. And we started her, we basically reverse dieted her and had her at a pretty healthy intake throughout her pregnancy. And then now post-pregnancy, she's wanting to lose some of that baby weight. And we're just dieting down extremely slowly, like very, very slowly, keeping fats and proteins as high as possible carbs. Her carbs have been around 15 grams total carbs the whole time. Um, and then we're getting to the point now where she would start to benefit from a ketogenic caloric refeed because her calories are getting lower. But the whole time we've been monitoring her breast milk production, that has stayed steady. So no issues, no, no adverse effects whatsoever, uh, and only positive effects. Like she's only lost weight. She hasn't had any you know down, downward spiral on her milk supply at all.
1: And I mean, there's something to that fatty milk. I know Allie and I both experienced that. And I'm sure Crystal, you guys are experiencing that now with Rigel sleeping through the night so early yeah. and all of the things. That yeah, he's
3: he's a, really he's good. a stud. I mean, he, he drinks milk. a ton of breast milk. He's yep. gaining weight like crazy. He's like, I don't know, probably five or six inches longer than he was at birth. And he's, I think like 13 and a half, almost 14 pounds now. So he's growing like a weed.
1: Oh my goodness. Amazing. It's so precious. Yeah. Um I want to go back to what you said about the whole like bodybuilding bro style of, of eating, if you will, and, and this recommendation of six small meals throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know, you know, you're a proponent of reducing that frequency. Let's talk about kind of the frequency that you do yourself, um, what you recommend for clients and then, um, you know, how you utilize intermittent fasting within that
3: yeah so like a lot of people in traditional bodybuilding setting they'll recommend five six seven meals a day mostly because they're under the impression that that you know boost your metabolic rate stokes the flame so to speak um that's one argument and another argument is that you need to have uh you know a bolus of protein that many times per a day to improve muscle protein synthesis and get that leucine threshold uh in reality, if you're cutting down, especially like if you're following a ketogenic fat adapted diet, like you, you don't have near the fluctuation in your blood sugar and blood insulin. You don't have the cravings throughout the day. Uh, most people that do a ketogenic diet have no problem going longer periods of time in a fasted state. For me, I just feel much more productive. If I'm not eating six or seven times a day, I feel much more liberated from a you know time standpoint. Like when I used to do that, I would literally... Uh, have, you know, a, a backpack with my computer, I'd have a gym bag, and I'd have another duffel bag all together with like a whole bunch of Tupperware in there. And I'm carrying that around everywhere, which is just not any way to live. Um, So now I eat typically two meals a day, if I'm really in a surplus, I'll push that to three meals a day, but usually about two meals a day. And if I'm in a surplus, I'm eating enough uh, protein in general, to be able to have enough protein to activate muscle protein synthesis, I'm taking in enough protein that has a higher concentration of leucine. So no worries there. Um, And then if I'm in a deficit, I'm trying to optimize for fat loss. What I've found to be true, uh, honestly, from a psychological standpoint, is that it's the diet is more sustainable for me when I'm in a deficit. If I have one large meal, like once my calories get below about eighteen hundred, I'll switch to OMAD. Um, For me, it's 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 better psychologically to have one You know, large meal that leaves me satisfied than to have multiple smaller meals that always leave me wanting more. I feel like having that one large meal that truly fills me up does something mentally that gives me that sense of satiety that I don't get otherwise. And that makes the diet and the deficit much more sustainable in and of itself. So that's what I'll typically do. And then in a deficit, you're not trying to really build muscle, you're trying to preserve the muscle that you already have built. If you build muscle great, but that's not the primary focus. Uh, and if you're doing a ketogenic diet, ketones themselves are very muscle sparing. So you're going to have an upregulation of those with that longer fasting window. I feel like that offsets any benefit that you would get by having more surges in protein throughout the day. So that's kind of my argument for reducing the meal frequency with a ketogenic approach.
2: Love it. Okay. And, um, and so when you're doing that, O-mod, you're getting probably significantly less and because that is at your more deficit time, less grams of protein total intake than when you're in an anabolic building mode, right? Well, how does that kind of differentiate for you specifically in, in grams about?
3: Yeah, good question. So everyone's gonna be a little bit different. Um, and then I'll go through like my my prep protocol is, is seven phases, as you mentioned previously. And at certain phases, my protein's going up at certain phases it's going down. Like I modulate my macronutrient distribution. Um, when I'm in a building phase like I am right now, you know, I'm trying to get a minimum of 150 grams of protein a day. My current mass is 180 grams or 180 pounds, and I've got probably about 150 pounds of lean mass. So, a minimum of one gram of protein per pound of lean mass. Typically, it's north of that. I'm normally around about 200 grams of protein a day. When I'm in a, a cutting protocol, I'm trying to optimize for fat loss and preserve as much muscle tissue as possible. I'll keep that uh, dietary fat relatively high. So, there will be times where my protein is at about a one-to-one grams of protein to grams of fat. There'll be times where my fat ratio is much higher. Um, like I'll start a cut at around 80% of my total calories coming from dietary fat. So my protein is lower uh, by ratio then. And then I'll end the cut with a lower protein because I want to have higher fat towards the very end of a cut. But by about the middle of the cut is when my protein is at its highest.
1: Got it. And obviously no fear of protein. I think that's something, you know, Allie and I are like rescuing people from all the time. There's still this, this idea that, you know, pro- too much protein is going to kick you out of ketosis. Clearly you're having no issue getting into and maintaining um keto. I don't know if that's something you find with your clients where they come in, they're eating super high fat, but their you know, protein macros are at like 50 grams or something like that for women.
3: Yeah, it's weird. Um, you know, I've been in the space. Just, I mean, y'all have to been in the space for quite some time, and you see these these trends come and go. So, like a few years back, I feel like the the main thing was, you know, people feared protein. They they feared gluconeogenesis. They feared that it would turn into chocolate cake if they had too much protein. Right. Now, fast forward to today, I feel like the the pendulum has swung so much to the other end of the spectrum. There definitely are still people that are fearful of protein, but now I feel like the big conundrum is that people are almost fearful of fat. Yeah, within the ketogenic space, which is kind of interesting because everybody's giving protein a halo uh, at, the, at the detriment of not consuming enough dietary fat. And I've always said, you know, the answer lies somewhere in the middle. People are always trying to operate on these right. extremes. Um, you don't want to have next to nothing protein, but you also don't want to have so much protein that you're not getting ample dietary fat.
2: I love that. And I love your approach of always being very level-headed and and also open with your clients and with your audience of, you know, figure out what works for you. You know, I, I saw in the book, you're talking about like, yeah, some of you are going to want to have greens every day, go on with your bad self. Some of you don't feel like yeah. you need greens every day. That's fine too. Um, you know, we're huge proponents of this ketogenic food is medicine, keto approach. Um, and I'd love for you to talk about nutrient density. Cause I know when we first met that, that was something that I was really stoked about I know the first time I saw you talk at KetoCon I think you talked about kimchi or something about fermented veg and I was like whoa someone's yeah. talking about the importance of probiotics and I saw liverwurst in your recall and so consuming organs um tell me um a little bit about this let's talk about maybe maybe jive a little bit on the if it meets your macros community (laughs) and and maybe how that movement can have limitations or you know what you see as an issue with that if it meets your macros and and why nutrient density and and selection matters
3: yeah totally so I was I was in the if it fits your macro space for a long time so I feel like I have some credibility to speak negatively about it because I was doing it for so long Um, and there are benefits to it like for a lot of people they find the ability to mix and match foods uh, and eat whatever their heart desires as long as it hits their macros to be more sustainable and they're able to reach goals and you could certainly get lean doing that and for those people you know more power to them but my my take on it is that if you are in a deficit and you have a limited amount of caloric load to work with it just seems like it would be common sense to truly maximize the nutrients that you're getting with that allotted calorie, you know, amount. Uh, And for me, it's certainly not going to come from pop tarts, ice cream, and cereal. Like I want to optimize the nutrient density of those calories that I have to work with. So I'm going to consume more organ meats. I'm going to consume more red meat, more ruminant uh, style protein, you know, from, from cows, from lamb, from deer, from venison that I've, Personally, gone out and harvested myself and know of the quality. Um, I'm going to have stuff like the, the kimchi and the fermented foods. I'm going to have things that I know my body's going to be able to assimilate and digest easily, uh, so that I'm not. Uh, passing it through my system and not truly assimilating that nutrition. Because when you're in a deficit, especially there towards the tail end of a cut, I mean, every calorie counts and you want to make the most of everything that you're putting in your mouth. So for me to just, you know, waste it away on alcohol or, uh, you know, some processed food, that's not really providing any value just makes no sense whatsoever. Because if your performance starts to wane as a result of lack of nutrition, then that's going to inherently reduce your ability to preserve the lean muscle tissue you have. It's going to preserve, or it's it's going to inhibit your ability to get as lean as possible, as sustainably as possible. So yeah, I'm a huge advocate for truly maximizing the nutrient density and just quality of the foods you're consuming at all times, but definitely when in a deficit.
1: Yeah. Super, super important to us as well. And, and it's never made sense to me. I'm like, you spend all this time in the gym, but then you're eating this crap food and you're literally yeah. building muscle from it and building cell membranes from this junk. Like that's going to catch up at some yeah. point yeah. and maybe it's not today, but eventually that's going to burn out.
3: Um, from a logical standpoint, like I see, I see this all the time and it honestly breaks my heart. Like I'll see competitors that will... They'll they'll go through the tail end of a cut and they'll they'll sacrifice, they'll get rid of, they'll remove all of these, you know, f- foods that they know to not be healthy. Like they'll remove the, the sweet foods, the desserts, the cheesecakes, all that stuff. But then after the show is over, they feel deprived because they've leaned on those foods for so long throughout their the rest of their life that after the show's over, they'll just overindulge on them. Because when you finish a, a competition, you literally have no sense. Of satiety, Like your, your leptin and ghrelin hormones are so out of whack. You can literally sit down and eat 20,000 calories as if it was nothing. Like it's weird. It's honestly baffling because there's no, there's no connection between how much food is in your stomach. And when your brain tells your body to stop putting food in your mouth, like it's, that's totally a wash. So they just start binging on everything in sight. They'll put on, you know, a lot of unnecessary weight. Like I, I put on 20 pounds in 24 hours after my first show. Um, and then they have this downward spiral psychologically because they feel like they've thrown away all their hard work, they feel like they've they don't have a sense of self anymore they they wrap their identity up in that lean physique and they just throw it away overnight. and it's just a downward spiral, and I see that all all too often. Uh, so if you can create a lifestyle around eating healthy quality foods to begin with, and you don't feel deprived by not having those processed foods, then when the show is over, it's not like there's a massive shift that occurs in what you are and are not allowed to eat because you just keep it quality at all times.
1: Sure. And we talk about that just with diet culture and and not having these, you know, cheat days and things like that. Um, but channel savory. Yes. That's yes. our mantra. Like if you
2: can, Savor. if you can yeah. crave savory, you're going to make it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, but- Uh, This episode actually will be airing like on Halloween. It looks like this year. Um, So I want to talk about just as we're entering the holiday season. And for many, this does become kind of a slippery slope of temptation, you know, wherever they fall on the real food spectrum, it can. Um, And I want to emphasize the importance of consistency for results. So I'd love to hear just maybe some tips of staying on track throughout the holiday season. Um, and then highlighting these characteristics, you noted patience, discipline, and persistence as like the top three there. So let's talk about that.
3: Oh, this could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but I, <laughs> I'm all about uh, the, the concepts of discipline and consistency and just dedicated dedication to your craft, whatever that may be. I feel like there's so many people that are always looking for off days, cheat days, um, and just like like permission to deviate from the path that leads to success. Um, And this is true across multiple industries, nutrition, fitness, business, I mean, everywhere. Um, And for me, like, this was honestly one of the the talking points in my ketocon presentation this past year um, is like, figure out what you need to do, figure out what you can sustain doing every single day and then do the damn thing every single day without fail, without excuse. And you do then, and then you do that day and day and day. And then it becomes a habit that becomes your lifestyle, that becomes your identity. And then you can just enjoy that process. Like for me, you know, I've, I've not deviated once from the ketogenic diet in the seven plus years I've been doing it. That doesn't mean that you have to do that, but that's kind of kind of become my identity in a sense And a lot of people, like, I I totally understand the concept of not letting nutrition become your identity and getting wrapped up in that. And I could totally buy into that. But I like the fact that when people think of me, they think of someone that is strict. They think of someone that is disciplined. They think of someone that is able to adhere to something for the long haul, because when you're able to replicate that concept across multiple, uh, you know, barriers, across multiple industries, across multiple aspects of your life, like parenting, like nutrition, like your day-to-day habits, like business then everything is going to excel and grow. Um, and that's certainly been what, what I've discovered uh, in my pursuit of improving my health and nutrition via the ketogenic diet. That's been the case for what I've learned uh, you know, in my relationship with Crystal and uh, the, the few months that we've been parents now and then what I've learned in the business. But when you find what you're able to sustain and you're excited about doing every single day, and you recognize the benefit and the value that it adds, and that value add is more enticing to you than that temporary high you would get from deviating. Then you're winning, and if you just keep winning, then 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 life is great.
1: I think some version of that needs to go on one of your shirts. Um, do the damn yeah. thing every day. You, you probably have
3: it well, it'll be on a shirt for sure.
2: <laughs> Love it. Okay, let's shift a little bit into exercise chat. Uh, I loved in your book how you talked about less is more when it comes to cardio. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's talk about what this means and how should cardio versus resistance training be approached. Uh, And and let's maybe go about this and you could go on both ends of the spectrum for a competitive bodybuilder, but also for an individual just looking to lean up or to make positive body composition change.
3: I mean, honestly, the exact same principles hold true, whether you're competing or just simply want to lose body fat. So we can have the same conversation in one, but uh, comparing resistance training and cardio, like you're going to burn more calories with resistance training throughout the entirety of the day. You're going to build more muscle tissue as a result of resistance training than you are with cardio. Like resistance training is 1000% just better for your body than simply cardio. Now that said, you do have to have enough cardiovascular health so that your resistance training isn't inhibited. Like if I was you know, 400 pounds and had no cardiovascular health, I would get winded after doing one rep of squats. Whereas I wouldn't really maximize the potential of that set of squats because I can't do enough reps to get the, the most out of it. So you do have to have a healthy baseline, you know, cardiovascular uh, you know, baseline basically. But when it comes to fat loss, a lot of people make the mistake of Automatically associating, okay, I need to lose fat. Let's do cardio. Let's jump on the treadmill. Let's do the Stairmaster. Let's go swim laps. Let's go do that. Let's go run. Uh, And that's great. But what happens is a lot of people start doing it to the extreme seven days a week. And you don't want to do that. For one, it's going to inhibit your performance with your resistance training. And you you certainly want to optimize your potential there first and foremost. But then also if you're, your body, like I said, in the very beginning, your body's incredibly adaptable, both metabolically and, uh, you know, performance-based. So if you're doing seven days a week of cardio at the very beginning of your cutting protocol, the very beginning of your fat loss phase, then your body is going to acclimate to that frequency of cardio. So you'll lose some weight initially, you'll lose some fat initially, some water initially, but then in order for you to have some sense of progressive overload with that cardio, you're going to have to do cardio eight days a week. And as we all know, there's only seven days in a week. So you're kind of up a, up a creek with no paddle in that, in that regard. So what I, I recommend doing is treating cardio as like a minimum viable dose. If you have a healthy baseline in your cardiovascular health, then you're good to go there. And then just simply titrate cardio up with a minimal minimal viable dose approach so that as your body plateaus from the nutritional manipulations you're making, you can simply you know, increase the cardio ever so slightly to elicit a response. Um, A good way to think of it is if you're in a cutting protocol and you're gradually tapering your calories, the cardio can have an inverse relationship with that calorie intake. So as calories start out very high, cardio can start out very low. As your calories slowly decline, your cardio can slowly increase. So they have like an inverse relationship in that regard. Because as your body slowly plateaus, uh, from the nutritional manipulation, it's nice to have something up your sleeve that you can throw at it to elicit a favorable response. And if you're already doing seven days a week of good cardio, you have nothing else to throw at the equation to elicit that favorable response.
2: Okay, I love that. And and since a lot of our, I know now we're we're just getting really nerdy in the ketogenic space, at least and in functional medicine about muscle and and really looking at muscle as an endocrine gland itself. Uh, you know, I think there's also a lot of still demystifying fears of women lifting and maybe not wanting to bulk up or, you know, this, this um maybe fear of too much weightlifting or resistance training. Let's just have you talk a little bit about the importance of resistance training to our audience and muscle, yeah, I mean, muscle resist- health benefits.
3: Yeah. Resistance training is so, so important. I mean, when it comes to, to muscle tissue, like I I've heard it described as the longevity organ and that couldn't be more true. I mean, that's going to be what allows you to have Mobility and flexibility, and just stamina and strength as you age. I look at my my granny. I was I was able to send see her for the first time in a long time this past weekend. Uh, she met Rigel, and we were able to just kind of connect after not seeing each other for quite some time. Um, and she has lost so much muscle. She's eighty three. I wanna I wanna say she's got really bad rheumatoid arthritis in her hands. Um, her joints are, are terrible. Like she can't hardly squat down and stand up. Uh, Like, like it just, it's, it becomes a massive decline. Once you start losing muscle tissue, I look at my mom who's 60 and she's pretty active. She's started doing keto. She's lost a lot of fat tissue, but she doesn't do the resistance training. She's active. I mean, she like, she rides horses and whatnot, and that's great. But if she simply did more resistance training, she would strengthen specific muscle groups as opposed to just singular groups that are activated when you do a certain, you know, outdoor task or something. Um, And that's, what's going to be that the thing that enables her to have a vibrant, uh, life as she ages. Um, I mean, that's like, I, I just like to, to, cause we all have grandparents. We all have parents. we all have people in our life that we look at and we, we want them to have an improved quality of life. Like I want my mom to be able to hold Rigel up when she's my granny's age, uh, because she is now Rigel's granny. And I feel like if you just simply paint it in the picture of, you know, who do you know in your own personal life whoever's listening to this, um, if, they're, if their mobility is horrendous, if their flexibility is terrible, if they have trouble doing day-to-day tasks, almost all of that without fail, barring some type of disease or you know something like that would be exponentially improved if they simply had more muscle tissue. I mean, that, that singular thing is going to be the thing that improves their quality of life as they age.
2: And it extends into even immune health for sure. I mean, which is obviously a hot topic now. We're seeing that sarcopenia is, of course- correlated with mortality across the board. And then there's also those mechanisms on the immune front, which is super important.
3: Yeah. Immune function. I mean, everything really. like, it it all ties together. There's a lot of people want to separate all these different systems within our body, but it's all, it's all related. And if you have more muscle tissue, the thing is most people, the, the cool thing about muscle tissue is that it's like, if you look at natural bodybuilders, most of the elites in natural bodybuilding are very old. I mean, they're, they're much older than what you would see on an elite level within like the NBA or NFL, like they're all typically older. So like with progressive overload principles, you can continue to build more lean muscle tissue as you age. You just have to continue to use it and and demand that of your body to, to give it reason to keep that lean tissue. So bodybuilding is, is truly, I mean, we're all bodybuilders, whether you're stepping on stage or not, we're all bodybuilders. We're either building muscle, we're, we're building fat, we're, we're building something in our body. Uh, hopefully it's all the positive.
1: Yeah. Where's a good place to start? I guess, obviously your book would be a good place to start, but where's a good place to start in terms of, you know, maybe we're in our thirties to forties, a little bit under muscled and, you know, looking to start to build that for that longevity um, aspect where, where's a good place to start in terms of frequency and kind of commitment. And are there any particular like pieces of equipment or movements that you feel like are beneficial and, and, um, our audience is mostly women. So if you want to speak to that, um, that group, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah uh,
3: so y- y'all are both familiar with nurse Cindy, right? Yeah. She, she's, she's awesome. She's an angel. I forget how old she is. She told me, uh, I don't think she would get mad at me for saying this, but I think it's 65. I want to say. Um, but she, she did not work out at all. I'm going to use her as an example because she did not really do any resistance training whatsoever until this past like year or two. Um, and she lost a ton of weight with a ketogenic diet. She's incredibly passionate about it. She's changed a lot of lives. And then every time I saw her, she, I mean, her and I have always been really close. I'm like, you got to start resistance training. And then she started. And this last year when I saw her at the Keto Summit Omaha, like she literally looked 10 years younger, like her eyes had a twinkle in them. Her skin was improved, like her, her shape was much better. And it was because she started weight training and she started with with the bare minimum, like she just simply started doing body weight squats, uh, like from a chair on a more regular basis i mean a good a good place to start is i mean just simply like three days a week like you can do like a simple you know body weight or resistance band push pull leg or just full body split just something to to activate and target each specific muscle group so legs uh, chest back shoulders arms Uh, you know, biceps, triceps, and the arms, but just simply something to to target each of these muscular groups, uh, focusing on full range of motion, focusing on full activation of those muscles, full contraction, full extension. But you can do all of that with just body weight movements. Like if you go online and just search body weight movements for a specific exercise or for a specific muscle group, you'll be inundated with information. And just simply doing that's going to put people that have have not been doing anything in a whole nother tier. And then you just scale up from that, like start with body weight, then go to resistance bands, then graduate to cables and machines. And then eventually free weights, uh, you know, barbells and dumbbells, but you start doing that and you just keep leveling up and you get, I mean, you're able to get quite strong and that becomes uh, an enjoyable thing. Like, like now nurse Cindy is looking into doing a powerlifting competition. Like she's never in her whole life worked out. And now she's wanting to do a powerlifting competition someday, which is awesome. And women, you, I, I, you mentioned this earlier, but they have this, um, they assume that they're going to get really muscular and bulky. And that's just not the reality. I mean, like you look at some of these women that are very muscular and bulky, they're all taking performance enhancing drugs. Um, you know, like that, that's not something that's going to be achievable naturally. So unless you're taking a bunch of steroids and Trimbalone, you're not gonna have to worry about becoming a freak as a female. It's just starting to resist and strain.
1: Yep. <laughs> awesome. And I think three days a week is super doable. And like you said, minimal equipment at first sounds fantastic. Not much of a financial commitment. It's just that consistency that it comes back to, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Let's talk about babies. You've mentioned Rigel a couple times. How many months is he now?
3: Uh, I guess he is two months. I guess he's about 11 weeks. I want to say.
1: Okay. So getting into that, like communicative, like, is he smiling yet? And Yeah. He's
3: smiling. He's giggling. He hasn't done like a full blown belly laugh yet, but he's come really close. He's like sticking his tongue out. Uh, like he can totally support his weight. I've been like swimming with him and he can kind of like kick around and swim almost. Uh, but he's, he's growing pretty quick.
1: Amazing. And I know he's, you know, a hundred percent breastfed right now, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious if you guys have thought about plans of food introduction and approach for his diet when you get there to that like six month mark.
3: Yeah. So we're going to do the whole baby led weaning thing. I'm not like Crystal's the pro on this. I'm not exactly sure what all that entails, but to, to my knowledge, I think it's mostly allowing them to show an interest in the food that you're eating and then providing them the food. And then rather than you spoon feeding the baby, kind of allowing them to feed themselves the, the foods that that you're allowing them at. Y- y'all probably know better than me, but I think that's more or less what it is. Um, but yeah, it's all going to be quality foods. Like uh, I, I don't ever want to like force my kids to do anything like I'm the quote unquote strict keto guy. I don't want to like have this title that I place on my kids. And if they go out and eat a cookie, I'm going to, you know, banish them to some faraway land. Uh, But at the same time, I'm also very excited about the potential Rigel has from a health standpoint, because I mean, I was kind of screwed up nutritionally before I found keto. I've been doing keto for seven plus years now. Uh, It's exciting for me to see what is possible with a kid that has been uh, like, I mean, Crystal was keto for six plus years before he was ever even conceived. So from an epigenetic standpoint, he's got that going for him. She was keto throughout her entire pregnancy. So he's got that going for him. And then, you know, obviously the breast milk's quality breast milk. Um, and then he'll be eating quality food as he grows up. So I think from a sheer nutrition standpoint, he's got, you know, everything he needs to to build and grow and, and to develop at a great rate. So I'm super excited to see, what that rate unfolds and looks like.
2: We'll have to share with you a couple podcasts that we have on baby led weaning. And then in our, uh, food is medicine for the whole family, we actually show videos and one of them is Stella's first ever swallow of avocado. Um, and it's great because that's, you know, purees really started because of a knowledge deficit and, We're priming our children who were ketogenic from a breastfed baby standpoint, babies that are breastfed are ketogenic. And then all of a sudden we just destroy that metabolism and that palate by going right away for rice cereals, oat cereals, et cetera. And we really break that satiety when we're force feeding with spoons, you know? Um, But I will say there is that anxiety. Becky went through it. I went through it as a parent when you watch that first gag reflex and swallow. And (laughs) so we actually show the difference of a gag versus a choke, which is really cool to watch before you go through it (laughs) so that you can like bring down your anxiety and say, okay, this child is capable, communicative, and they are primed and ready and know how to eat. And that's the the beautiful process of the baby led weaning is letting them lead the process.
3: Yeah. I would definitely love to, to listen to those podcasts and learn more. I think, you know, that just all makes sense. I feel like, you know, the way y'all think towards nutrition and and parenting, like, I feel like that's very much so aligned with how Crystal and I think my big concern is, you know, I've got family, I've got a great family. Like I love my family, but they don't have a clue when it comes <laughs> to nutrition. Yeah. And you know they love Rigel. They want to spoil Rigel. They want to do what's right by him. And I'm trying to figure out the best way to not come across as a total, you know, charlatan, and, and not let them do anything food related with him. I just don't know how to navigate those waters yet. So that's that's my big glaring question mark.
1: I think instilling some of the the principles Allie's used with Stella. Noah's a little too young to like communicate. I don't eat gluten or food dyes yet. Oh yeah. Um but yeah. as soon as they can say that and like we'll say that to you know the aunt or whatever like Does this
2: food dye yeah, in it. sister is in power. You know? She was she was at like a vacation bible <laughs> school and you know they were like snacks provided we always bring our own and uh they had these cookies after swimming and so she was like, "Oh, well is that almond flour based and gluten-free?" <laughs> And they're like, oh awesome. no, we'll get you something else. And they run up to her with a popsicle, and she goes, well, I'm pretty sure that popsicle has food dyes, though. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, diva. That's awesome. no, and, yeah, you know, that, that's that's I'm yeah, letting her be empowered with it. And at this stage, at six years old, she's still owning it. So go on with your bad self. And uh, we've also loved the book, Danny and Mora told me about a book called Buddies in the Belly. And we started reading that at age two or three and you know talks about the microbiome and how certain foods feed the buddies in our belly that create good health outcomes and certain ones create more belly aches and aren't favorable and you know i think always treating our children like they have the aptitude and the capability and not dumbing things down is the best approach and giving them the opportunity to thrive and not approaching it. And we even did that with, you know, verbiage and language with our children of like not using the baby words, you know, it's like, my, we are going to the bathroom. We're not going TT or, p- you know, it's like, it's yeah. like you know, you, you, you use real words, you, you talk about real food and, and it's wild how they respond and they just sponge it all up.
3: Yeah. 1000%. I feel like, you know, I think if you just educate them and you talk to them as if they were an adult and you explain to them the benefits of eating these quality foods and why they wouldn't want to just simply have the other foods. And then if they, if they do and they feel poorly, then explain to them why they feel poorly. I mean, that's going to be the way to empower them as opposed to just saying, no, you can't have this, but not explain why. So I feel like that's absolutely going to be the direction we take with things. And I mean, we're going to lead by example as well. You know, like I think 100%. kids too are, are pretty smart like they'll be able to at, at some point they reach an age where they're able to look at you know their parents and they're able to look at their peers parents and they could probably get to the point where they can put two and two together and like okay my, my friend over here his parents are a little on the heavy side and my parents aren't I want to do what my parents are doing you know
1: yeah no doubt um, so, let's yeah. talk about your other baby keto brick
2: <laughs> yes um, yeah. how-
1: how you created it, um, when you decided to offer it to the public and and just the journey that that's been of the hustle and the grind and the sacrifice to grow and launch that brand. It
3: has definitely been a hustle and grind and a labor of love, but I've loved every minute of it. I mean, we, we, we built it, um, out of necessity. I never planned on it being a product that was offered to the public. I made the brick for my own personal benefit during my 2017 competition prep when I was looking for a quality ketogenic meal replacement bar that made meal prep and macro tracking very easy. And at that time, none of that existed. So I set out to create my own, the brick was born and, uh, we have since, you know, just made it into a business. Um, So we started that in Washington when we were living up there just out of our kitchen. And then we moved to Arkansas, uh, back to Arkansas where I was originally from and Crystal and I, you know, rolled up our sleeves and we're like, okay, we're going to go all in with this. Um, So we started leasing a commercial kitchen space that was three hours away. We drive three hours, spend all night making bricks, drive three hours back. We put them on the website and they would sell out literally in two or three minutes. Um, and then we scaled the production up there. We, we rented a warehouse space that we lived in for three years that like we were living in the warehouse space. They didn't have a shower there. So we had to go to the neighboring planet foot fitness gym to shower there. And then I eventually built a shower in this warehouse. And then, you know, we hired employees. They were helping us. And we just continued to scale up. And then last year we actually purchased our current facility, which is a much larger warehouse space. This is where I host my podcast studio. I've got the gym here. I've got everything under one roof, and uh, we've we've got a team of eight of us now, and we've just continued to scale up the production of the keto bricks. We've kept everything in house from day one. Many companies, I mean, honestly, almost all companies, except for you know a very small handful outsource production to some third-party co-packing manufacturer. And when you do that, you run the risk of the quality of the ingredients to be compromised, Like they're going to always go for the budget round more often than not. And there's just, you can't have full oversight. And for me, the bricks were made out of my desire to craft the greatest performance product for my desires to excel within the sport of natural bodybuilding. I wanted to optimize for that. and I didn't want to have any compromises. So the only way I could achieve that with the bricks based off of that underlying message was to continue production in-house. So that's exactly what we've done. And we've made these things. We're making them right now. We make them every single week and uh, we're just happy to provide it to the public for people that want them.
2: Awesome. And we'll be sharing, of course, all of your contact, but you can check those out and purchase those at ketobrick.com. Uh, you want to offer any code for our audience to try it for the first time, Robert, I'm putting you on the spot, but
3: I actually don't even have any codes. Um, okay. but I'm trying something new. Uh, and if this goes live in, uh, you said October, October 31st. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're trying something new. Um, I don't know if you have like a, a, a code or something, but what I would what I'd like to start doing, because we're, we're doing screen printing now, too. So we're starting to make our own shirts uh, yeah. and do all of that production in-house. So I'm going to start offering like a free shirt for anybody's first time purchase of the Keto Brick, like a Keto Brick shirt that we hand print as well. Um, so if there's a code that you normally use on your podcast, uh, they can use that and then we can get them a, a shirt for their first purchase of the bricks.
2: Awesome. Sounds yeah. awesome. And we had talked about in our KetoCon wrap-up wrap episode how you had the whole screen printing setup. It was so cool at uh, KetoCon, and you had done those shirts. Uh, yeah, we usually use Ali Miller RD, so we'll put that offer in our show notes for sure. Awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll remind you over email for sure. Okay. Um, last question before we let you go. Uh, well, we have two one. Um, so what's your advice to an entrepreneur taking a leap? Cause that's just such a wonderful story of your growth trajectory and where you guys are at today. Um, what would be your advice for an entrepreneur that's looking at leaving their stable career and taking a leap, um, from something that they're passionate about?
3: Um, man, this this is a tough question. I get this question a lot and it it really depends on the person and what advice they need for where they're at in their life. But honestly, like if you're used to working a nine to five job, you have that safety net and you are unfulfilled, then if you you feel like you are compelled to, to go the route of being an entrepreneur and being your own boss, then you, you have to just do it. Like you can't live your life wondering if you could have been something that you're not, because then you're going to die with regret. And that is the worst worst thing in the world. I I don't want to ever die with regret. Um, so if you're truly ambitious to the extent of you thinking you want to own your own thing, then you just got to do it. But as far as like advice, um, I would, I would say to remove that safety net. Like if you've like, I mean, if you've got a family and kids that are relying on you, you've got to be smart about it. Like you don't want to go into a whole bunch of debt. Um, but at the same time, when you do remove that safety net, which is what I did, I was able to increase my creativity, tenfold because I was starting to see opportunities that I never would have seen elsewhere because my back was up against the wall. And if you have that safety net, oftentimes those opportunities go unnoticed. So when you are literally in a sink or swim, no plan B plan a all the way, baby kind of mentality, you start seeing things you never would have seen.
1: I love it. So good. Um, last question. We want to hear your 24 hour recall. So what you ate yesterday, um, from the time that you woke up in the morning to the time that you went to bed.
3: All right. So I had uh, heavy cream. I do French press coffee um, and I'll have heavy cream in that. I'll typically have two cups of coffee a day. That's pretty much my only caffeine and I'll have heavy cream with those coffees. Uh, and I woke up at my parents' house cause we spent the, the weekend with them and my grandparents, which is not normal. Um, but they had nothing in the house to eat except for like a whole block of Parmesan cheese. So I ate a whole block of Parmesan cheese, uh, as breakfast yesterday, which is again, also not normal. Um, and then I got home and I had about, uh, a pound of 85, 15 ground beef that I grilled up. We, we cook for the crew here. So we cook, uh, Every week for them good ketogenic foods. Uh, and I cooked a whole bunch of burgers for them throughout the whole week. So I had two of those patties last night um, with a chocolate malt keto brick. And that was pretty much my macros for the day.
2: All right, sounds awesome. Um, awesome. So lastly, I know we said that was last, but where everyone can find you. So we have KetoSavage.com, KetoBrick.com, and then under the book titled Ketogenic Bodybuilding.com. And let's also share your socials and your YouTube.
3: Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it for the websites. The socials just uh at Keto Savage and then the, the YouTube is uh, Live Savage or Keto Savage. You type in either one of those and it pops up.
2: Great. So awesome. What a great conversation, Robert. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your expertise and your journey with our audience. I'm sure it's going to have an impact on so many different people in different ways. I think there's a lot of gold in here and, um, can't thank you enough for just doing what you do and being authentic and awesome.
3: Yeah. Thank you both so very much. It was awesome to see y'all at KetoCon in person. Awesome to chat with y'all. I thank the world of both of you. So keep doing what you're doing and keep making an impact.
0: Thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast.